Okay, so we are in a new chapter in John. We're in chapter 9 today. Uh, hopefully the people that are gone will listen online uh, because I, I feel like there's a... Chapter 9 is one of those ones where I think some of the conversation doesn't happen that maybe should because it's it's got an important topic embedded within it. Um, I think it's obviously where we get like, you know, was was blind, but now I see... Uh, because of the healing that occurs here. But we're going to talk about this both in the literal and the spiritual sense. So all of chapter 9 is one event, one conversation. Well, not one conversation, but one one event that occurs. One miracle, and then three conversations that occur directly after because of it. Uh, today, we're just going to focus on the miracle. So we'll only cover verses 1 through 7. Uh, so I want to start with verses 1 and 2. This is where it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So we have what for the disciples was a bit of a mystery and they were caught up on why, 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 because this man was in a sad state. Okay, um, They didn't really so much focus on, and maybe they did and we don't see it, but of the, of the mindset of, you know, well, thank God that I'm not in that, that I've been blessed so much. How can I help this person? They didn't really seem to be in that mindset at this point. Um, some people, and maybe the disciples at, at this particular point while they were thinking, have, this, have had this mindset in the past of somebody has great suffering, they must have had great sin in their life. So this is not uncommon to the disciples. There were people that taught this back then. There's been people since then that have taught that. Uh, but they were, in asking this question, they were being severely critical in their assumption of this man who they didn't even know. So, I mean, look at their question because it, it's very telling. They actually ask, essentially, did he sin before he was born to deserve this? These are the kind of people at, in this line of thought that are very similar to, to Job's friends, uh, which we covered the other day in our Bible study, which was very telling. But like, say, in Job 4-7, where one of Job's friends comes up to him right after all these tragedies have occurred and says, remember now, whoever, punit- whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? So they had that same mindset too. Bad things are happening to you, you must have sinned. Um, but specifically, we're talking about physical conditions at this point. So sometimes, though, which... We did uh, cover in the book of Job in the beginning there. Sometimes bad things happen to us that just happen. They don't have anything to do with anything that we've done. So an example would be some of us are born differently with what I guess you could say are abnormalities from what the the general norm is of human beings. Uh, My brother who you guys haven't met, he is severely autistic. Uh, You could come up and you could have a conversation with him to a certain degree, 
but I guarantee you within the first five seconds, you're going to know that he's autistic. You're going to know that this guy can't function on his own. He can't live on his own. Um, I have a, another person who I know of who, whose mother did an obscene amount of meth while she was in the womb. And she has all sorts of things as well from that. She is not of the optimal human state, if you want to say. So by the disciples thinking at this point, you would say, well, is this karma that these people are like this? Is that why these people are born like this? So Christ is going to show us, though, that the greatest sufferers are not the greatest sinners. So, I'm going to cover, let's, let's go three through five here. Jesus answered, and he says, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what happened here? This man being born blind, those other people that I talked of, due to the fall, there was a birth defect, essentially, you could say. Yes, sometimes people have conditions due to sin. That is true. But more often than not in this world, it seems like a lot of it is the fall, is genetics. Um, there are certain cults out there who, act, who actively have taught from the beginning that if you have a disability, they'll, they, they believe in a pre-existence uh, where, there was a, where we participated in this huge battle. And it's not scriptural at all, but they'll teach their congregates that if you were born with a disability, it's because you didn't fight valiantly before you came to earth. Or if you were born with dark skin, because you didn't, you didn't fight valiantly before you came to earth. And then when they got pushback from that, they started saying that, oh, the disabled people, they actually were the most valiant, so now they get to be disabled because they can handle it. So people come up with all sorts of weird ideas on this, but that's not the things that Jesus is saying here. He's saying that, yes, there are, due to the fall, things happen. We are not in perfect conditions here. He says, yes, due to sin, sometimes we will suffer. He says that, well, uh, we see in the New Testament a lot that sometimes people have, sh have shown to have spiritual possessions and that they suffer physically from that. Uh, sin and choices, though, does affect our physicality. This is, why when we, this is why we take the communion so seriously. Because of what Paul says in here, uh, we don't often read this. Well, we do read this verse, actually. This is part of our communion verses in 1 Corinthians 11.29. Listen to what Paul says here. where He says, For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. And then, the part that we don't generally cover in communion is verse 30. Verse 30, he tells these people, he says, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number are asleep. And when he says asleep, he means dead. So he's saying that people have done something 
They have, they have taken the communion wrongly and it has affected them in their physical body. That's how serious the communion is. So, in general, it seems like most, if not all, of Scripture, and if, I, if I'm wrong, please let me know, um, sin is, is not equated with sickness all the time. But most certainly, sin is definitely linked with death and general decay of us. So my, my point is that we don't, we don't see people in the New Testament being judged due to sickness. We see them being judged due to sin. <clears throat> so could God have prevented this abnormality in this man? Absolutely. Absolutely he could have. But in this, when we start going down this train of thought, because it's an easy one to go down, especially when we have our own sufferings, the thought that we have to always keep in the background here is that God is righteous, that God's plans and His judgments are deeper than we could ever fathom. The span of His vision, ours is a little little pinpoint on a timeline, and God's is everything. So there are things in God's rule that we won't understand on this side of the veil. That's, I mean, we can go through the Bible a million times and some of these things might still perplex us a little bit. So, I mean, you can just imagine what this blind man must have thought. He was a child at one point, or even as, he was, as his time as an adult, I guarantee you he sat there and thought for at least a second, God, why? Why do I have this? Why is this my lot in life? Jesus tells him, well, he tells the disciples specifically of him, that this man was a huge part of God's plan. And he says, it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he, though he probably suffered a lot when he was younger and during his adult life, he has been put into infamy because now we read and we talk about him all the time since then. He has been part of Jesus' ministry. So the question shouldn't have necessarily been what caused this. It should have perhaps been, you know, what was this for? And what is it going to do for the kingdom of God? But it was not a punishment for sin. Jesus says that. Though the man would be just as sinful as you and me. Okay? But we just have to remember that this world is not perfect. The fall of Adam indeed justifies that the con- of what of the condition of our world uh, the things that we inherit are due to the merit of what Adam and Eve did okay yet God would still save us if we come to him so in this in this line of thought to continue with you know the those of us who are the least suffering, because some of us don't have as much suffering. That is plainly physically true. Some of us don't. Those of us who have the least of the suffering, we are blessed, and we should count our blessings. But those, because God is just, because God is loving and merciful and all these things, all-knowing, the worst of us, we can't blame it on God being unjust either because that's not in his qualities. Sometimes these conditions, they just happen. 
Sometimes they are meant to glorify God in some way or in some time. Uh, my boys, I've, I've been very open with the fact that they had some type of healing with their heart condition. And I, I know it was to glorify God, and I think it was maybe something to help my wife. Uh, so they, they have been blessed in that aspect. I have absolutely horrible blood pressure, and I have struggled with it since I was a young adult. Um, if one day it took me out, I would not be surprised. I've done everything I can to try to manage it, aside from maybe losing a little bit extra weight. But even when I was first diagnosed, I was I was uh, very healthy. Um, I have not identified what exactly it is in my life, or what this has done for my life to help glorify God, because I haven't seen it yet, or I just haven't recognized it. Uh, maybe it's to humble me. Who knows? All sorts of things like that. But we all have something, some physicality like that that we deal with. So God is glorified by us or in us because none of us have been made in vain. There's, there's a plan for everything, for all of us. So the, the question is, what part of you that you have to deal with physically, uh, what part of you is, is, that, is showing God's work, is putting God's work on display, has, has brought you maybe closer to the Lord, or is for somebody else to see to, to help them in their walk. So, in this world, there's just going to be suffering. That's the way it is. It's been that way since the fall. But in our faith and in our reliance, in our proper assumption of God being all-powerful, all-just, all-loving, all-merciful, the God of creation, we know that everyone who suffers will someday maybe not here, maybe it's on the other side of the veil, will know why or how that promoted the advance of the kingdom. <clears throat> so this man, he would know right away. He's blessed in that aspect because Christ spoke aloud his intent. He told him that he was part of this, part of Christ's ministry, that he was going to show Christ's work. So in this time, of Christ's bodily ministry. He says that here that it was the day, and so he had to keep working before he would be called to the cross. But this is also a direct correlation to us because he's not saying physical daylight. He's saying that as long as I'm here, this is my day. I need to work because that's when we typically work is during the day. So for us, it's the same thing because we don't know where our son is in our life. Um, I might live another... 10, 10 years, or I might live another 50 years. I don't know. And so Christ is pushing the idea of diligence, that you don't know when your time is going to be done, so you should work as much as you can. And when he says work, he's talking about kingdom work. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks of this in uh, chapter 11 where it says, the one who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not harvest. Saying, if you wait for a better time, it's never going to show up. If you wait for the better time to have a conversation with somebody who's hurting, somebody who needs to hear a gospel message, it's never going to be there. Um, if you wait for the better time to go and do a good deed that you see needs to be done, you're going to keep waiting because when is the perfect time for anything? It's kind of like when people talk about having children. 
I hear a lot of young couples talk and they'll say, they'll say, well, you know, when the time is right, when the time, when we're perfectly set up, then we'll have kids. Show me when that is, because I don't know. Um, I'm not sure when this perfect time is. I never, never saw it on our calendar, but it's worked out no matter what. So, uh, let's, let's look at verses 6 and 7, and then we'll, we'll finish out today, because I just want to cover the miracle today. So when he said this, he, being Christ, spit on the ground and made mud from the saliva and applied the mud to his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he left and washed and came back seeing. Uh, I openly admit that this is an odd way to see a healing. Okay? I think most people, when they read this, they see that. But the point here is probably more so that God is not conformed to one thing. He's not in a box where he can only heal this way or that way. God can heal however he wants. And this is not actually the only time that we see this. Um, if you ever go into Mark chapter 8, he does heal another blind man that way as well. Uh, with with his spit, so. But this is the honor of the man, the blind man, that he was in this condition, that Jesus could use him as a miracle and could, could provide a miracle to prove his message, to prove his divinity to people who were watching. So he tells this man, "Go and wash at the pool." But what if he hadn't washed? Would he still have had sight? Yes, maybe, maybe not. This is Christ is testing this person. He comes up and does this to him, and then he says, Hey, I need you to go and do this. He's he's testing the blind man's obedience. So he's is he going to listen to Christ? Or is he going to listen to the Pharisees who would have told him if they were watching? They would have said, do not wash on today, on this day. You're not allowed to. So you can imagine the man's thoughts as he's walking to the pool. Uh, like I said, the Pharisees have already laid down man's law. Hey, you can't go and wash at this pool on this day. So he's probably thinking that in his head. Um, he's probably thinking, "There's who knows? There's so many different ways that he could go about. He could have been offended that somebody just rubbed mud in his eye. He could have been just completely weirded out by it. Maybe he didn't understand it at all. Maybe he thought it was silly. Maybe he thought it was gross. This is also a picture of the gospel because the gospel is offensive. If you don't believe in the gospel, the gospel is extremely offensive to you because like I've said many times, it's telling you that you don't meet the mark for heaven and that you need a Savior. And that's not the message that is preached by this world anymore. Saying you're not good enough before God, but yet in Christ all is possible if you come to Him. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians one twenty one talks of, talks of this as well. Uh, 121-123 actually. It says, For since the wisdom of God, the world... For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to those who believe. 
For indeed, the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles it's foolishness. That's probably in a way what this man was thinking. This is a little foolish. When I heard the gospel as a million times before I ever came to Christ, I guarantee you I thought it was foolish. Because I didn't understand. So like the gospel, like the gospel is thought of by many people, the man may have thought this mud is inadequate. Like, what's it going to do? I'm going to go wash this mud off. I'm just going to be a little dirty, but nothing's going to have changed. The gospel is the same way for the world, because the world a lot of times would rather go to a social program, a, you know, maybe a counselor, a psychiatrist, a medication, and they don't believe that Christ has more power than these things, but that's not the gospel message. They don't believe that you can find a salvation. So like the gospel as well, this man, he may have thought it was harmful. A lot of people do think that the gospel is harmful. Some people, even in the religious community, do, because they'll say, oh, you believe that Christ absolved you of all your sins? You're just going to go and sin as much as you want now. No, that's not the way it works. We know that when a, when a heart is reborn, that we hate sin. If we hate anything, we hate sin. We have that metanoia, which is the Greek word for repentance, which means to turn away from it. It still happens, but we have looked away from it. We don't live in it. We don't want it. So that idea is, is bogus as well. So this man's... His walk of faith to this water is almost exactly like our leap of faith into Christ. Because when somebody tells you about the Gospel and you are feeling the call from God, sometimes you may, maybe you do feel a little foolish. You don't completely understand what's going on here. The Lord opens the eyes to those who are blind, though. That's what it says in the Psalms. So He opened His eyes he can open our eyes. Hopefully He has opened our eyes. It's to those who are willing, though. So if you come before Him, as Isaiah chapter 35 says, then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened. It's a direct correlation to what we see here. That's the power of God. Because your whole world has changed when you come to Christ. You do not look at anything ever the same again. So, just to close this out, <clears throat> this man was in darkness all his life. And Jesus called him out of it. He found him. And grace was shown to him after so many of the Jews that we see in the Scriptures so far had rejected that grace. And soon in the Scriptures we'll see that that grace is going to be widely available to the Gentiles, for us obviously acutely to each one of us. And that's important here because as we see, everything's going to develop the way that God has designed. Uh, God, God, knows, God knows you. That is without a doubt. He knows what you're going through. He knows the bondage that you're in in this world if you're not come to Him. But we don't have to be in the dark. Uh, and it's, it's a terrible place to be in, I can attest. 
We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear being enough in life. We don't have to live in the delusion of pride, which so many do. Jesus is calling us away from that. He calls us to the the rebirth, and He asks us to do our walk to the pool. Not, Not to earn anything, but because it's just a path that He has provided for us. I think we all can agree with that. But it's scary sometimes to put your trust in the idea of God when, you, when you're first giving it the consideration, when you're first hearing the call from God for the first time your ears are finally opened. Because it's trusting outside of yourself. And it's letting this little tiny mustard seed of faith be watered by God. But the sight that comes from it, I'm, I don't know how you could ever go back. Um, I couldn't imagine living without it. Um, Does anybody have any questions or comments?